Father God, would you please speak now through my weak and foolish words, that we might hear your words speaking to our hearts and minds. Amen. Would you please be seated. Well, I'm looking today at that passage in our reading from Isaiah 49, and if you, uh, it might be helpful to have a look at it and have it in front of you as I'm speaking. The passage speaks of two servants. The first servant is Israel, the people of God, and the second servant will bring Israel back to God. But then it seems that the second servant is also Israel, which is very confusing. But Christians have understood that this passage is speaking about Jesus. He is both the servant who called Israel back to God, but he is also Israel itself. He is the embodiment, the fulfillment of Israel. In the British Constitution, Her Majesty the Queen is the head of state, but she is also, to a degree, the personal embodiment of the state. What the Queen does at an official level, the United Kingdom does. If the Queen greets another head of state, then the UK is greeting that other nation. And if you are a citizen, a UK citizen, then you are, by definition, a subject of Her Majesty. That, by the way, is why one of the reasons why we pray for our rulers. When, as a British citizen, I pray for Her Majesty the Queen, I am not just praying for her as an individual, but I am praying for all the people who she represents. She is the constitutional glue, if this helps, who holds us all together. So she is both the servant of the state, but she is also the embodiment of the state. And Jesus, to a far, far greater degree, is both the servant of Israel, of the people of God, and the embodiment of Israel, the people of God. But Christians have also understood this passage as speaking not just about Jesus, but about us, about those who have been called and chosen to follow Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to allow Jesus to live in us, who have become part of Jesus. They tell us that God chose us. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. It's saying that the reason that you are a Christian, the reason that you have begun to put your faith in Jesus and live by faith in him, is not because you are good or clever or gifted or attractive or humble, although looking around at you, you are all those things, (laughs) but because God decided to choose you when you were a fetus. So it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. Jesus says to his followers, you did not choose me, but I chose you. 
And that should both humble us and give us confidence. It should humble us because we are here by grace alone. We did nothing to deserve the choice of God. There's no place for arrogance or pride in this. But it should also give us great confidence. Because if God chose us for no other reason than his love, and if it does not depend on what we did, then he will protect us and guard us. Yes, we will face fierce temptation. Yes, there will be times when we think that we have failed him so badly that we have stepped over the line and there's no way that he can continue to love us. But we are here by his choice and he will not let us go. And by faith, we hold on to that. So, for instance, in Romans chapter 11, Paul writes of the Old Testament people of God to whom the promise came, the Jewish people. They were chosen by God, but they had rejected Jesus, the Messiah, they had crucified him, and now some of them persecuted the early Christian community. Can you do worse than that? Crucify the Son of God, persecute his people. But did that mean that they were cast off? Far from it. Paul writes in verse 30, As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their ancestors. And then he says, and this is really important, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And that bit about naming is very special. Our name, for good or ill, describes who we are and shapes who we are. That is why the name you give your children is so important. Looking around here, I don't know whether they're here today, but some of the names that, that people have given their children here are just so lovely. Mercy and gift and precious and beloved by God and grace and light or names that mean that in your own language but we're told here that god has given to each of us a name it is the name which truly describes who we are and who we are truly called to become we read of that name in revelation chapter 2 it's written on a white stone there we're told and it's given to us and we will probably only know that name on the other side in heaven but it is God's name for us known only to God and to me or to you and it is a secret name a love name so we are chosen called and named but that of course always raises the question when you say this I suspect for many of us why did God then choose me and not, for instance, my sister or my husband. And that leads me on to my second point. God has called us to be servants. This choosing, this election is not a privilege, but to serve. To serve God and to serve people in his name. 
Jesus says, I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Paul writes, we do not proclaim ourselves, we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. This is important. God never calls A instead of B. God calls A for the sake of B. God did not call you instead of your sister. God called you for the sake of your sister. Abraham was chosen in Genesis 12:3 in order to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, was chosen to be, we read this here, a light to the nations so that God's salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And the task of the church, of all of us, with our many and various gifts and individualities and personalities, is to proclaim, to declare to the world the salvation of God. Using slightly different language, we're to proclaim the kingdom of God. To proclaim the one who is king, the son of God, Jesus Christ, who lived among us as one of us, who died, who rose from the dead, who is Lord and who calls all people to come to him, to repent of their rebellion against him and to receive forgiveness and new life and intimacy with him. Of course, we cannot proclaim the word of God, the kingdom, and not in dependence on God and his spirit, begin to live the kingdom, to live the word, and, and, and to live live his values and his way. We preach the mercy of God, we have to live, receive and show the mercy of God. We preach the generosity of God, we have to demonstrate in ourselves that generosity. We, we cannot preach the compassion of God and not be asking God to fill us with his compassion. We preach the truth and not seek to live truth, being as honest as we can about ourselves and others in love. We've been called, we've been chosen, but like Jesus in Jesus, as part of Jesus, we've been chosen to be a servant with a task, to be a light to the nation that God's salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Thirdly, God has called us to continue to trust him despite our sufferings. Look at how the servant has suffered in our reading. They face deep frustration and a seemingly fruitless and pointless ministry. Verse 4, I have laboured in vain, I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Verse 7, this servant is despised, abhorred by the nations, a slave of rulers. And that theme is taken up a little bit later in Isaiah 53. The call is a call that involves suffering. In the New Testament, we're told of a man called Saul who hates the followers of Jesus. He asks his superiors for permission to take a death squad to the city of Damascus to round them up. But on the way, Jesus meets him. And Jesus says of the converted Saul, who is now Paul, he's given a new name, 
He is an instrument who I have chosen. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Please be aware that the call of God does not mean that you are being called to a comfortable or easy or pain-free life. In many, many ways, it is a call to suffering. The story is told of the rabbi who was praying and he said, as he was thinking back and looking uh, at the exile, at the slavery in Egypt, at the exile uh, of his people, uh, at the, the, the sacking of Jerusalem in AD 70, of the pogroms that, that, that the Jewish people had experienced, at the Holocaust. And he said, God, he said, is it true that we are your chosen people? And the answer came back from God and said, yes. And the rabbi said, God, he said, would you mind choosing somebody else just for a while? For some, the call to be a servant of God and a servant of people in Jesus' name is a call to acute suffering. This season, we're supporting through our simple lunches the Barnabas Fund. They, they in their turn, support Christians facing persecution. It's going on now. On December the 26th, an unverified video was released by Islamic State, West Africa province, former Boko Haram, showing the execution of 11 Christian men in Nigeria. There are Christians today, whether in Egypt, Eritrea, North Vietnam, many parts of the Middle East or North or Central Africa, who face the possibility of imprisonment or death or having their village ravished and attacked because of their Christian convictions. Some of you will know that firsthand. Some of you will have been in places where that was a real possibility. But even for those of us who live in countries where we do not face such threats, the call to be a Christian is still a call to suffer, whether it's from comments from those who would dismiss us or from making lifestyle decisions that mean we go against what is considered acceptable or normal or from choosing to serve sacrificially when we could be having an easy life. And we suffer when people reject the message about Jesus that we bring or ignore it or treat it as irrelevant. Because it is so important to us, it hurts. And it can mean that we stop sharing the message. I find that I don't want the message to be rejected. And if I'm honest, I personally don't want to be rejected. And so I don't say what I know I should say. And I think that as we grow as Christians and as our love grows for friends and enemies, so there is another kind of suffering which we open ourselves to. As we see more the lostness and pain of others and of this world, as we become more aware of the depth and consequences of our own sin, so we will weep. We will weep more for the people who we meet and for this world. The spiritual fathers and mothers speak of such tears as a gift of God. It is not without reason that Jesus is described as a man of sorrows. 
And yet, the servant, we are called to continue to trust in God even in suffering. To trust in God even when our heart breaks for the world. To trust him even when we face ridicule or rejection. To trust him even when it seems that nothing happens and it's pointless. To trust him when it seems that evil is winning or that life is falling about apart around us. And so the servant says, yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And that leads me on to my final point. We are called to share in the glory of God. Suffering, but glory. Verse 3, he said to me, you are my servant in whom I will be glorified. On Friday, Alison and myself went to the Gainsborough exhibition in the Pushkin Museum. And as we walked home, we went past a picture framing shop. The frame for the picture is important. But if you've got it right, then however beautiful it is, the frame is almost invisible. When I went around the exhibition, I looked at the paintings and I didn't actually notice the frames. I would only have noticed the frame if the frame was clearly wrong. The frame is not intended to draw attention to itself. The purpose of the frame is to present the picture, to bring out more the beauty of the painting. We as servants of God are intended to point people to God. They should not really see us. And if they do see us, then we've probably got it wrong. But when we've got it right, then they should not see us, but through us, to his love, his choice, his gifting, his faithfulness, his holiness, his wisdom, his beauty. Our task is to be like that picture frame and to glorify God. And our hope is one day to share in the glory of God. And so on that day, when what is now hidden will become transparent and visible for all, it will be as if the veil is drawn away and the masterpiece of masterpieces with its frame is revealed and the audience will look at the picture in wonder and in silence and they will be amazed and perhaps there may be one or two discerning who might look and say ah now i see why the artist chose that particular frame and then they will stand and they will applaud Isaiah 49 7 kings shall see and stand up princes and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Father God, thank you 
for your love and for your mercy. By your grace, help us to be faithful servants. Help us to trust you in suffering and help us to bring glory to you. Amen.